In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that will be your experience today in the name of Jesus. Amen. It will come to pass that as this word is coming, it will have a free way into your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. It will give you a light. Amen. It will give you direction. Amen. It will heal you in every area. Amen. It will heal you spirit, Amen. soul, and body. Amen. In every part of your body. Amen. I believe God with everyone listening to me today. That as this word is coming forth, every affliction, no matter how tiny or no matter how great, that might be hiding somewhere in your body, which will melt away in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because you have believed in the Lord Jesus, because you have taken time out to pay attention to these words, the spirit of healing will ride upon the word of God today Amen. and dissolve every affliction in your body Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. All, All right, let's get settled. Let's get into the teaching for today. All right, so happy to be here again, experiencing the preservation of God. If you're experiencing it, give me an amen. Amen. And I declare God will continue to preserve you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As the truth, He will continue to preserve you. No evil will befall you, amen. and no plague will come near your dwelling. Amen. You will hear stories. They will tell you 2,000 died here, 30,000 died in Italy. Nigeria has this number of cases. You keep on hearing stories, then one day you stop hearing stories. But you, you will be preserved. Amen. Listen to me. There's a word I gave at the beginning. I want to say it again. The Holy Spirit says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. In all this noise you hear, those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Amen. In Jesus' name. Alright, the Lord is good. Now let's continue. Um, I think I might be able to get to the end of it today, but let's see how it goes. If we don't, we'll finish it next time. Um... We've been looking at um, the select ones the Lord uses and how each one of us must ensure that we preserve ourselves and walk or work on ourselves until we can reach the full capacity of what God wants to use us to do. Let's not forget it. No matter what it is that the Lord wants to do, we have to work with him. No matter what it is that the Lord wants to do, we have a part to play. About two meetings ago, I explained that, that each one of us must learn to be responsible. Don't just assume that something will happen. No, it won't just happen because it is time for it to happen. In the millennium of the Spirit, time is not just a calendar matter. It's when everything has been put in place. And you, me, we are one of those things that must be put in place for the time to be right, for God to do what he wants to do. So I must not be the reason why the work of God will be hindered. That's the point we are making. And listen, in doing that in life, everybody must make sacrifices. Everybody must do what? Make sacrifices. It's important to bear that in mind. The good things we are looking for in life will not just rain upon us without us making sacrifices. If God is going to use you, if God is going to use me, there's a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. There's something that will be denied of. There is something we'll have to give up. Do you follow my point? For Peter to be used... Peter said he had to give up fishing. He had to give up his career he had planned and did not give it up. Some of us give up those things when we are broke in them, when business is not working. So we think this is a sign of the call of God. Sometimes it is, but not all the time. For Peter, it was when business hit his peak, when Jesus gave him a miracle that I told him, give that thing up, and he gave it up. Paul said, for me, all of these things that I gained, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he had clout, he had influence in the environment, he could go to the chief priest and collect letters to go and do things. He knew them that well. 
He said, but all of these things are counted as what? Dung. They were, they became lost. They were gained before, but they became lost. That was the condition for God accepting me. That, see, everything has a price. You must understand it. You cannot pay the full price for the work of God in your life, but He will demand something. Do you get what I'm saying here? He will say to Abraham, leave your father's house. I want to take you somewhere else. Yes, it's the power of God that we walk in his life. That's what we call grace. But grace will demand you make a sacrifice. So for Paul's case, we saw the sacrifices he had to make. Okay? And I'm saying to us, every single one of us will have to make such a sacrifice. And it comes in little things. Sometimes it comes in big things. But many times it comes in little things we have to do every day. I give an example of what our brother said that he knows how to trade, you know, forex and all of that. But that God made it clear to him, if you are praying for your nation, you cannot bet against your own currency. So you will see money go away, and you will not make money from it. You understand? One day I said to him, do you own shares in this particular uh, bank? No, something led to it. He said, no, I don't. I've sold all the shares that I have. I said, why? He said, the way they make money is ungodly. I can't share it. I can't share it. When they are sharing dividends, I will feel bad. I know this money was not made in a clean way. Now, those are the little things you must understand. Sometimes I tell people, please, Christians, listen to this. I want to drop this as an aside because sometimes people come to you and tell you that, is this a sin? It's not a sin. Listen, when you start asking me, is this a sin? It's not a sin. I don't think you're a serious person if you are still trying to look for how to get away with something. What you need is to ask, is this pleasing to God? That's a better way to ask the question. If I, because that lets you know that even though it may be lawful, it may not be expedient. You are aware that it may be lawful. But would the Lord really like it if I did it like this? Sometimes pyramid schemes will come. People can make quick money. I tell Christians, don't bother. It will be tempting, but don't bother. Do you know why? Pyramid schemes, people always lose money. They always lose money. So those who come in early may make some, but you're actually technically stealing from the people that we end up, the thing we end up collapsing on. The other things come at MMM, MMM. They were making so much noise about it. I laughed about it. I, I was even on air. I talked about it. I said, people, don't just waste your time. That it will collapse, it was guaranteed. Of course, within a week or two after we spoke about it, it was out. But that it will collapse, it was guaranteed. And many adults know it will collapse. But they wanted to just go in, get their own portion, and get out. I keep on telling people, bear it in mind. You can't just get your portion and get out. When you get your portion and you get out, the spirit of lust, uh, of a waste goes with you. Certain spirits will follow you. It's called the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those things, because you love the things that are in the world, they will take a spirit and impart into that money that you have taken. You don't just run away with it. Please bear these things in mind. So it's not everything that you, you don't look for what I can just get away with. For God to bless us in life, that is, use us to be a blessing. We must be willing to make sacrifices. Sometimes it will appear very great. Sometimes it will be small. I like the story I read in a God smuggler, Brother Andrew. This man went around to the communist, what they call behind, those days, behind the iron curtain. Communist countries like Bulgaria, you know, Romania, you know, that were ruled by USSR. Either they were part of USSR or they were controlling them. You know, Czechoslovakia of those days. Those countries were difficult places. If you talk about economic recession, they were in deep economic recession. There was poverty because of communism, the effect of communism there. Okay, so he went to a particular village, okay? He used to go around trying to encourage the Christians. So he went to this particular village, and he saw a man and his wife, elderly people. Well, I don't know how well they were old, but definitely middle age, late middle age. And most places were empty. Young people had gone abroad to go and look for better um, prospects. We're not judging them, but that was what happened. So he looked at the two people. He said, well, how come you guys are still here? They must have had the opportunity to go. And they said, he said, why have you not left? And they told him, 
who will stay behind to pray? They were not rich. You must understand this. They were in poverty. There was hardship. The beautiful things of life they did not have. But they said to this man, somebody has to stay behind to pray. See, when you see great things happen, like one day, some years ago now, of course, um, the Berlin Wall came down. Communism collapsed. Things like that happened. It was people like that that continued to pray. They are called the elect of God that cried to him day and night. You see, they cannot hide somewhere and be praying. You understand? People want to go to the place of comfort, enjoy themselves, and from there be throwing some muscles of prayer back to Bulgaria. Throwing some muscles of prayer back to Romania of those days. It wasn't going to work. God says, listen, this is the cost of salvation for your people. This is the cost of deliverance for your people. You will stay behind and pray. And when God says stay behind like that, he will just give you the basic necessities of life. No luxuries. You still won't have constant power. Who, who gave the rural communist, communist villages those is constant power? You probably get it for a few hours a day, like some of us get in this country currently. You understand? And then you won't have a lot of money. Like I mentioned, you won't have a decent car. I mean, And you, with all of this, you are still hiding. You are still doing the praying in hiding. But God said, I need people like that scattered here and there. They are the ones that will bring down the iron curtain. And eventually, they brought it down. It requires sacrifice. Sometimes people will say things like, eh, you know, you have to go to make a future for your children. We're not talking about the future for your children now. We're talking about the effect you will have on this earth. In the agenda of God, it will take sacrifices. You will make sacrifices. There are times people will go, and God will say, you, you can't go. And you will stay behind 10 years later. You have not really prospered significantly. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, don't say, I obeyed God. Isaac sowed in the land. The same year, he reaped a hundredfold. You will sow in that land. The same year, you reap threefold. I hope you get my point. You will stay in that land. You, the same year, you reap tenfold. You don't expect hundreds of years. You know, as a sign. Sometimes it is called the trial of your faith. You will stay there. And you, just because of your faith, you will remain. That is what I mean when I say there are sacrifices. God will demand sacrifices. He will say to you, yes, I know if you move over here, you have a better life. But stay here so you can have a useful life. There's a difference. You understand? Like I said the other day, the purpose of life is more important than the comforts of life. It's very, very important. A lot of people are driven by the comforts of life. They are driven by the comforts of life. You see them, they talk. You know, they talk on Facebook, talk on Twitter. You read some of these comments, people send them up and down. Just shake your head. I don't have a problem with unbelievers talking the particular way. But when Christians talk, when Christians talk, you, your faith must reflect. Let me tell you, when I'm talking about sacrifice, it's not a joke. There are times, eh? <laughs> you know, there are jokes I can't crack. And you know, I want to crack the joke. It's funny. But I know the Holy Spirit say, you, you can't. There are things that make me laugh. I want to forward. I know I say I can't forward it. Even though it's funny, it's a joke. But I say, no, this is mocking holy things. Let me give you an example, just an, as an example. You crack jokes about marriage. If the joke denigrates marriage, I don't laugh, I don't forward it. Even if it's funny, I refuse to laugh. It's a, see, it's a deliberate decision I made. There are things you say about my country. In fact, you never, nobody has ever heard me or seen me forward something that's negative about this nation I live in. Even if it's funny, I say no. I've had quarrels with people. I know people are not talking to me again. Because they had the habit of quarreling with the nation. And I felt that you're a man of faith. You shouldn't be doing that. So we fought over the matter. Listen to me. We make sacrifices. We make sacrifices as believers. That's how God can have, find us useful. People think that Abraham, God blessed Abraham. And so Abraham made a good, right choice 
in where he, what he did in obeying God. It is true he made the right choice. But don't look at the blessing of Abraham the way many of us think about it. When Abraham left, he left. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He left. He left things behind. He left property behind. He left connection behind. He eventually had to start life again. Along the line, God blessed him. With all the blessing, the Bible says he was living in tents. He left a city that had story buildings. He left a city that had pipe-borne water. That has been proven. He moved to living in tents. And he lived in tents all his life. And I can assure you, it is the reason why you and I are free today. Listen, if this world, that is this, our space on this earth will be good, God will have to answer our prayers. But we have to put potency into our prayers by the kind of sacrifices we are ready to make. Let me just leave that one there. So we've been explaining that. We must bear it in mind. Just realize what I said earlier. Purpose for life, more important than the comforts of life. God needs to use you to birth something on the earth. You know, the life of Paul continues to be an encouragement. How many houses did Paul have? Well, I think we know the answer is none. But let us just say we don't know. <laughs> I hope you get my point. Did he have ships and all of that, you know? They didn't have cars, so did he have his own boat? He didn't have. Like I was saying last time, Jesus said, listen, guys, watch it. Everything I have here, we borrow. Jesus did not acquire property. They need to go somewhere, go and collect. There's a donkey there. They are not using it. It's tied. Losing it. Tell them I have need for it. That's just what happened. That's what happened. People will come and offer things. Didn't that boat to preach? He borrowed Peter's own. That was the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But talking about Peter, uh, 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 Paul, and talking about Jesus, you will see that even though they did not have those material things, but they are affecting their generations till today. Every day. With the, uh, if Paul were to listen to the number of times his name, I don't mean people using his name, that is, he is being referred to. It will be literally, literally billions of times a day on this earth. Billions of times. I've mentioned his name several times in the last few minutes. Somebody else is preaching somewhere right now, referring to him. Somebody is even getting angry. I mentioned his name. I hope you're getting my point. His name is being mentioned all the time. And he's the reason why that name is a common name on the earth today. When somebody names his child Paul, most likely it is started directly because of the Paul in the Bible, or because of somebody who took it from the Paul in the Bible. Paul's name is now is a well-known name now. Why? Because he made the right sacrifices. Let's bear those things in mind. So, we must be useful. We must be useful. Make sure when you are making your sacrifices, it's because of faith. Paul said, even though my life is being poured forth as a drink offering, as long as it is on the sacrifice of your faith, then I'm happy. That is, I suffer these things, he said, as poor, yet making many rich. I suffer these things that you might be established in the faith. He says that death is working in us so that life may work in you. That is what Paul was saying is that we'll go through a lot of afflictions so we can bring the word of life into your environment. So death is working in us, but life is working in you. Even when we are comforted, you know, he said we are afflicted. Paul said it. We have a lot of afflictions. He said, but what was the purpose of that? He said one major purpose was that so that God will comfort us, then we'll take the same comfort that he has given us 
and go and use that comfort to comfort those who are similarly afflicted. That is, even in his trials, Paul was being useful. Do you follow my point? There are troubles you will go through in life. God says, listen, oh boy, maybe you shouldn't go through it. I know. Maybe you had a lot of faith. I know. But manage it. Say, why, Lord? He said, I'm going to comfort you. Because I will place you in a place where people who will go through those troubles because they don't know better. Who will go through those troubles because they needed to go through that phase so that their sins will be cleansed. And when I say cleansed, that they will realize the faults in their lives and confess and they will be forgiven. See, there are all kinds of people amongst my children that will have to go through that. Then they will derive comfort from your own comfort. You'll be able to say boldly, this was how God comforted me. And with that, I will be able to comfort them. What, what am I going to say? Even in the afflictions of our lives, we are being useful. I hope you're getting my point. There are times people have called me, you know, or written and said, ah, this happened. I said, just open this portion of my book, read it. You'll be comforted. That is what happens. So our lives, that's let's reason with purpose in mind all the time. We want to be useful. This life has so corrupted things for us. You know, we live, Christians be careful that we don't do that. We end up living like the world. You know, loving the things that are inside this earth. Everything we are doing, like I said last time, people just do it. They are not serving God. They are serving themselves and just using God as a means to get their own thing done. So they say, okay, if you come to church early and clean the chairs early and walk in church, God will bless you early. Listen, if he says church is 7 o'clock, people will be there by 5.50 waiting to work. Why? They want what? Early blessing. That is not Christianity. What we just want to have in life is that our lives must be useful. That God gave us life for a purpose. God gave us life for a purpose. When you are making decisions, ask yourself, how useful am I going to be to people beyond my family? That is because some people now say, I'm doing this for my children. Listen, I've noticed something. Nine times out of ten is a fat lie. Even when it is true, it's ignorance. You can't just live for your children alone. That doesn't make sense. But people, people like that lie a lot. You know, that's why when we want to just hide behind what they know you don't approve of, they will say it's because of whom? The children. And I'm going to talk about that today. Even those children, you must know that if you use them as an excuse to disobey the order of God, you are not bringing a blessing upon them. You are bringing a curse upon the whole family. And that's what we've been talking about. Let's read it. Let's continue. So, just trying to remind us of what we've been saying all this while. Because we're coming to an end. Open again to the book of Luke, chapter 14. That was the one we read last time. Luke, chapter 14. We're going to read two of them. We'll also read Luke, chapter 9. Let's start from verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and that's my emphasis, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or which king, when he set out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider what he is, whether he is strong enough 
with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. That is, you have to check whether you are willing to do that. This is the cost he was saying. That is, check it. You are going to give up everything to follow me. That is what it means to give your life to Christ. Quickly, let's go to that book of Luke chapter 9. From verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said that this one person was not the one speaking. Lord, permit me first. Permit me first. Permit me first. I'm emphasizing the word first. To go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, but first, but first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Please bear these things in mind. I want us to quickly explain the meaning of this issue of first. The person that God will use is what we're describing. One of the things you must understand about God using you, I said earlier, is that, okay, what I used to say is that as if you are taking a chance with your life, and I mean it in negativity, what I mean is that it's as if you are wasting your life. That is what it's going to look like. People that God will use must understand that they just have to throw their life on him and accept that he will lead them wherever he wishes, wherever he desires. I said something last time, the one we looked at last time, was a man who came and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus had to explain. If you see all the other people, they were the ones explaining. That first one was the one that explained, <laughs> that Jesus was the one that was explaining. The man said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, listen, this young man, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for a career. He's looking for influence. He wants me to build something for him. So he told him, I can't guarantee you that. The other people, Jesus called them. And they said, one thing you find in both of them is that the first one said, first, let me go and bury my father. The second one says, let me first, permit me to go home and go and tell them bye-bye. Now, let's understand the context. When he said, let me go and bury my father, his father was not dead and in the mortuary. That was not the issue. What happened was that his father was old, and he wanted to go home, serve his father until the father would die, then he would be free. That was what he meant when he said, let me go and bury my father. The other people, when he said, let me go and tell people bye-bye, basically what they were saying to him is this. Let me go and settle the affairs of the family. Like somebody said to me, before I enter into ministry, I have to set up a business. 
then the business will be bringing me money. Then I will go out and preach so that nobody will say, I came here to make money. Listen to me. That is what Jesus was talking about. If you say that, you can never serve God. You will never fulfill the purpose of God for your life. Listen to me. What you put first is important in your life. What you put first is important. The reason why many of us can't serve God is that whether overtly or subtly, serving him is not first. We want to serve him only when it is convenient. A young man who called me those days, those early days in ministry, that is when we were on radio. And I don't know how he got my number, but we used to speak. And those days I used to talk to people I didn't know. These days, if you call me and I don't know you, that talk will not last more than one minute. You understand? <laughs> but those days I called. Of course, for reasons you can easily understand. And he will explain that everything I'm doing is what he believes he should be doing. And I will ask him a simple question. Why are you not doing it? And he will say to me simply that he works in a bank. And I said, why don't you resign from the bank? I mean, there are other jobs. Okay. But we said that he needed the money. Why do you need the money? He said it's because he has family responsibilities. Now, let me say something to you. Christianity is interesting and it's very radical. What appears reasonable to people may not be reasonable with the Lord Jesus. And that was why he said in that Luke chapter 14 we read, that for you to be my disciple, you must, it will get to a point in life where you will need money to take care of family responsibilities. But I will not let you go and make the money. It will appear as if you are irresponsible. It will appear as if you are not thinking of your family people. It will appear like that. But what I am saying is that the one that pleases me is that you come and follow me. And listen, many will make the decision and say, uh, you know, you have to be wise. And I've seen this, we have to be wise many times. I'm sure I've also done it sometimes in my life. And if you have ever done it, and you can remember, God is very merciful. Somebody say amen. amen. He forgives. He, he forgives. He forgives. You just tell him sorry. I did that. And it, look, he's not sorry. You know, one thing about you just disobey God. You say sorry, and then that's the end of it. Listen, there are different ways it goes. Many times what he will do is that he will rewind. You'll be amazed how much, how well he can rewind the time. He will put you in that, in that situation in another way. This time around, I say, I don't want to hear sorry. You will obey. This time around, I don't want to hear sorry. So many of us, we've done that. We wanted to leave, or we want, many are still doing it, to leave the main reason for our lives until it is convenient. Until everybody is happy. Listen, Christianity is a place where you will offend people by your decisions. I hope you're getting my point. You will make marriage decisions that your mother will regret having you as a son. Did you hear what I said? You will make decisions concerning marriage and the family will gather and ask you, is your head correct? I don't want to go into details about the, the, you know, the kind of decision we're talking about, but the common one, easily. Now, listen, this is not even a serious temptation. Naturally speaking, they will say, our tribes people don't marry from here. If you're a Christian, if you're still reasoning like that, just know that you are a sinner. And you will, you will get the judgment for continuing in sin. Because by doing that, you are not rightfully discerning the body of Christ. 
But I'm just using that one as a simple example. That is, you make decisions that will make people angry. It's not just about tribes thing. There are times they will tell you, what did you see in that man you want to marry? I don't know whether you're getting my point. What is it? What, that is, see better men over here who want to marry you. It is this one that looks like he's struggling. <laughs> you're not even, and then, in your spirit, you know. And when I say spirit, now I don't mean you just woke up and you're falling in love. You will see things work out. God will make it clear. This is my direction. And the man will come and say, marry me. That when you say no, you will see the re- all the reasons you have for saying no are on scripture. When the Eric Prince, <laughs> now this is an extreme, but it happens. When the Eric Prince married his first wife, his mother asked him, how old is she? You know the only way he could answer? He wrote the mother back and said, it is not, it is uncourteous to ask a woman for her age. You know the truth? His mother and the woman were the same age. They're about. Oh, somebody said, what? Well, it's not me. It's the right thing that happened to him. But God had commanded him for certain reasons to take that step. As a Christian, you will spe- listen, let me say something to you. There are times there will be a good investment to make. You have the money. You can make it. Everybody says make it. Then you wake up that money you are supposed to make the investment. Your spirit says two different ways. Don't. What do you do with the money? Say, look, if you invest this 10 millionaire now in shares in this particular company, guaranteed in 15 years, it's going to be worth billions. And God will say no. What should I do with the money? Give it out. And your friends will look and say, is your head correct? You are the one that understands the dealings in your heart. Now listen to me. Sometimes come and, people come and give testimonies that, praise God, I did it that time, but today I'm worth much more than that. Amen. And we like such testimonies. But I have a commission in my life in recent times to let Christians understand it doesn't always follow like that. The 15 years may come, and those who did it, they are all worth a billion naira each in that investment, and you don't have that amount of money. It does not mean, you know, we, ha- we, we like to regret because things didn't turn in a particular way. If you look back and know the reason you made the decision at that time was because of, whether truly or mistakenly, or because we can make mistakes, but in the integrity of your heart, you did that as an obedience to the leading of the Spirit. Don't worry about it. Because on the earth, you may lose. But you are gaining eternally on a regular basis. You know, one of the things Christians understand is this. If we say, let's make investment, money will multiply. We all fall for it. I mean, let me say, most of us, we, we like that. But let me tell you about something that's about being the radicality that's in Christianity. If we say we are believers, we must believe in things that are eternal. In fact, I chatted with a friend of mine a few days ago. I said, listen, you know, when opportunity for things come like this, I always let you know. And what was I telling him? I found an opportunity for investment. I'm his friend, so I should let him know. So I said, are you interested in investing in this thing? What was investment? Listen, it is lockdown time. People to give to. <laughs> it, I, just, I just said, oh boy, you know when opportunity opens, I let you know. And that's what I meant. That was what I meant. 
It's lockdown time. A lot of people are in distress. I said, are you willing to invest in this? I was, of course, he knows me very well. I was not promising that something great will happen tomorrow. I guess this is a time to let somebody say thank you because you sent money. This is an opportunity to let people worship God because of your generosity. Go and read what Paul wrote about it. That because of you, thanksgiving will rise up to God. Do you know that is a good investment? Now, if I tell people that, okay, listen, put your money in this particular company, in three years or in six months, the money will triple. We'll gladly do it. But if I wrote to the same people and said, listen, look at opportunities to help people in this period of lockdown. How many of us will realize that I have just given you a better opportunity for investment? If we say we are really believers, we must believe. I keep on saying. Christianity makes us do things that are radical. Things that people will gather and say, are you okay? Things that people will look at and say, wait, this is your religion. I think you, you are becoming a fanatic. Listen, your fanaticism is good as long as you are not killing somebody. I hope you are getting my point. If it's yourself, you are injuring, leave it like that. The money you are talking about, should be I'm the one that's losing it. But the point I'm making is this. Jesus says that that is what it costs to be a disciple. Sometimes people are supposed to have beautiful careers, maybe in a particular company, and then they go and tell their fathers, Daddy, I'm res- I've, not I'm resigning, let me just advise you. If you want to resign such jobs, don't go and tell your father before you do it. Listen, if you are doing that, you are asking for his consent. Let me give you the truth. He won't agree. No one, oh, let me say no one, most people will not want their children to suffer. Some of your father says no. It makes sense. And when you are asking him before you make the decision, just know that you don't want to obey God. If you feel it is the will of God, write your resignation, leave that place, go and pursue what you feel God is leading you into. For people like us, when we talk like that, we lean more towards ministry. But it's not always ministry like that. There are other things that it might be. But it has to be by faith. When I say by faith, it must be because the word of God stirred up a decision inside you that the only reason you would not do it is because of the fear of tomorrow and the fear of people. If you have to make such a decision, make it before you go and tell your loved ones. Before you go and tell your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. If you are married, the only person you should inform is your, you and your wife, you and your husband should jointly make that decision. Because the two, alright, they are one flesh now, okay? So, but everybody else, inform them afterwards. You can seek some counsel for people who are not, from people who are not emotionally involved, people who understand spiritual things. But when you are informing the people that claim to love you, make, make sure you have made the decision. Because you know it is pleasing to God. That is Christianity I'm talking about. Christianity is not convenient. That's what I'm preaching today. It is not when I have settled every other thing, I will not settle the Lord Jesus Christ. I've used this illustration many times. Somebody came to me and said, I've reached the peak of my career. I cannot go into ministry. Earthly career. Earthly career. In America, they do something. We don't do it much in Nigeria. They say they want to become financially free. That is a target. I'm going to work for this length of time, invest money for this amount of time, and then after a while, I will have gathered about my stock portfolio will be worth this amount, and I expect to be returning for me maybe average of 5,000 
dollars a month or ten thousand dollars a month, then I cannot live without having to work. Now, this is what Jesus does. Now, many people will come and say, When I become financially free, I cannot do the will of God for my life. That's what Jesus is talking about. That if you are thinking like that, you cannot be my disciple. And if you had attained financial freedom, when you want to now step into that discipleship event, you know what Jesus will say? Sell all you have. <laughs> and back to square one. You, you wish you had obeyed him 10 years ago. And listen to me. Listen to this. He will not accept any excuse. If you don't sell all of those things, you, are, you will be totally useless to him. It is be- that is why it's better. He says it's good for a young man to bear his burden in the days of his youth. It's good to make the crazy decisions early. They are easier. Listen, what I'm preaching today is this. Let, you know, because unconsciously we have preached a Christianity that's convenient. I serve God the way I like. I give in a such a manner that does not disturb me. Once I've given God 10%, he should be grateful. I'm a faithful son. Then I cannot settle on the rest. Then what he needs to do is to keep the devourer away from me while I enjoy the balance. Listen, true Christianity never behaves like that. True Christianity many times, you say, how much is the money? 100%. Can I have 99.95? Then somebody will say, ah, what kind of thing are you doing? Well, that is what the Lord has laid upon my heart. I have spread everything, everywhere, until I'm not the one collecting the tithe from God. I hope you're getting my point. That is, I collect every percent. I give him 90. I'm preaching that those who God will use should understand that it's not always convenient. You make decisions. <laughs> I like one thing. Pastor Corey said that time, when Nigeria was hot, that was about five years ago now, that election that brought, brought uh, President Buhari in the first time, not this last one. And because he's a pastor in the north, in Sokoto, people told him that, ah, send your wife, send, you know, move, you know, move down for security reasons. So, <laughs> of course, he said no, because I pastor a church and all of that. And we're together, all right, about the election was going to be on Saturday. We're together in Akure on, on Wednesday. And I was rushing to get back. I was coming back to Enugu. Now, they said, okay, if you can't come, why don't you send your wife and your children? We'll send you flight tickets. And he sent it, said to the, to the good friends who meant well that I think he should send flight tickets for all the wives and all the children in the church. When you've done that, we'll start talking. Of course, nobody was going to do that because it's expensive and they're they not trying to get a whole crowd. And listen, the point is this. What do I say to the people I pastor? I don't know why I get my point. If we all want to run away, let's run away together. I cannot say... No, I see pastors sometimes, you know... They make certain decisions. I say, you must understand you are discouraging, you are discouraging your congregation. There are people I look at them, I feel like, I feel like telling them, listen, just stop this job. Because you must understand that your life can discourage people. Listen, if you're a pastor in this country, if you don't have faith concerning what God can do in this nation, I think you should just get off that pulpit. Because there are too many people that can't go anywhere. You are the ones they are looking at. You can't be weakening their resolve on a daily basis. You can't. You have to be an example. You know, there was something that Paul said to, to Timothy. You know, he said, let no one despise your youth. You understand? Now, let me give an example now. 
My name is Paul. I sent a pastor to go and you know, take over a church, which I started in Ephesus. And the church is already maybe like 10,000 people. And the fellow I'm sending is 20 years old. He's 19 years old. Around that age bracket. And you have men in that church that are 60. His mother's friend is a member of the church. Do you get my point? So Paul and I said to him, when you get there, please, I don't want anybody to look down on you. There are two ways you can handle that. One is the wrong way. The one is the Paul's way, which is the correct way. One way you can handle it is just get there. Listen, everybody. I may be young, but I'm anointed. <laughs> if you anoint me, I will remove the cover over your head. You threaten the people into submission. Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. I am the anointed of God. Maybe young. Everybody, when I'm coming to church, you will rise when I walk in. That's a common way. That is it. Is it 48 laws of power way? But there is a Paul's way. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, don't let anybody look down your youth. So how do we solve it? He said, be an example. In faith. In conduct. In speech. In purity. That's what he told them. That be a reference point. Everybody will know that Pastor Timothy will never talk like that. When you don't have anything to say, say nothing. Until you have prayed. Let your words minister grace to the hearers all the time. Until a time where they will not even understand. They will be deferring to you all the time. Listen, that's what happened to Solomon. Solomon understood that as a teenager in this Israel, he couldn't rule. So he said, God, give me wisdom so I can rule. This was what God did for him. He didn't, maybe he did not even fully understand it when he was asking. God put that wisdom in his mouth so that they forgot his age. Do you get my point? That the words he uttered were the things that filled the hearts of the people. What am I saying? If God puts you in charge, your first assignment is to be an example. So you have to be careful what you do. Listen to me. As a pastor, therefore, a leader amongst the people of God, if God is going to use you, you will take a lot of beating. When I say beating, there are times you will suffer so you can be an example. Let me give an example. You Doing business deals as an example, maybe something, you know, you interact with people financially in the church. Most times you will, you will, you will deliberately suffer loss. So that it will not be said that it's pastor that took our money. When somebody hears later and says that, listen, ah, but you were right in this thing now. How come you still paid? Say, bros, I'm the pastor of the church. What do you want me to do? Now, what are you going to say? You are taking suffering. So that you can be an effective minister. You don't want anything to tarnish your ability to utter words. One thing I was telling my, my wife and I were discussing about this yesterday, or two days ago. I said, in this life, eh, I thank God, listen, because of where I, I went to school and um, where I minister now and all of that. I said, one of the things that I liked, now I like my wife, okay, but I wouldn't have wanted her to have come from Western Nigeria. Now, I couldn't give that as a condition to God. I don't know whether I get my point. I, I couldn't. I have, I have nothing against Yoruba people. You must understand my mother is Yoruba. Do you get what I'm trying to say? My sisters are Yoruba. I know a lot of Yoruba people. And that's where I grew up. Okay, That's where I was born. But for certain reasons, 
because of the environment I developed in faith in, it was a really multi-tribal, multicultural, for me, for example, environment. And then I was moving around, you know, I was, I had become a preacher. And I began to see a lot of Christians who want to, you know, lean towards this person is from my place, person from my place. And I said, this is not the will of God. So even though God could have picked a wife for me from any, every, anywhere, and I would have had to accept because I don't belong to myself, I belong to him, and he's the all-knowing God. I remember I actually told him, if I'm allowed to ask, really, Lord, I would just like you to avoid this area. Not because it is bad. The people are good. But I want to be able to stand and tell my people, everywhere I go, that please, this gospel you are, this principle you are practicing is wrong. Do you get my point? Now, if you understand where I grew up in faith, I'm talking about University of Benin. I mean, you be, look, you, one fellowship will be like 20 different tribes. <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to say? In fact, let, let me not sit on that anyway. But I'm giving an example here that you see, I felt like my life has to be an example. I was not, of course, I can't be fastidious about that. I can't insist upon it. So when I met my wife and we got married, I was happy. I was happy for just because I said, listen, you have to be an example. Listen to me. When it comes to faith matters, the way you handle matters, if you are leading people, make sure your life is an example. And in that process, you are going to take a lot of hardship. That's the point I'm making. Listen. Those days, was, when GSM was up and all of that, you know, that when Nigeria began GSM stuff. One of the things I, those early days, I remember I was preaching one time. I told everybody the kind of phone I was using and the kind of phone my wife was using. It was, they were not expensive phones. Even though I could afford expensive phones, I said no. My reason was that I saw young people who thought that was a sign of what? Progress. So I felt that no, my wife used this one, me, I use this one. So that when I stand to preach, I will tell all these small, small boys and girls, you think this will make you prosper? People are prosper more than you. Look, look at what's in their hands. I just wanted to show them that, listen, guys, this is not worth pursuing in life. Please, I hope you're getting what, what I'm trying to say here. So, listen, I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, sacrificing price and all of that. So, my friend said that, they, listen, he told the people, I have to take the risk. I have to take the risk with my life. Everybody said, listen, you are not making the right decision. This is unsafe. He said, but this is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. You know one of the reasons why God does that kind of thing? There's a way you pray when you're in distress. And there's a way you pray when somebody else is in distress. I hope you know there are two different ways. If you are in distress, there's a way you dig into the bowels of the Spirit to groan unto God. So what God does a lot of times is to take you and throw you into the midst of the trouble. Then you will save yourself and all those who are with you. Please, I hope you are getting my point. I'm using all of these illustrations to let you understand what I mean when I say that Christianity is radical. So you see a man, he could have escaped the trouble. He said, I'm sorry, I can't. Why? I have people who are with me, whom God has placed me in charge of. So even though there's opportunity for deliverance, if you can't take all of us, I'm sorry, all of us will stay here. And at the end of the day, you know what he found out? Almost nobody left the church to travel. Why? That was an example. I saw a man, I read the story in the book. The man was writing about um, the influence that the Bible is on the civilizations of this earth. 
Uh, and I've forgotten the exact name of the book, but that's how it's titled, something like that. So now to the story of his life. How, how his, um, he went to rural India to go and help the poor. And because if you've seen Indian movies of those days, I don't know about modern ones. When I was young, there used to be one guy, Garba. I don't know how many of you remember Garba in Indian movies of those days. <laughs> you guys have been watching movies for a long time. <laughs> Garba was a bad guy, you know? I remember one particular one we saw those days, I think it was Shule. Yeah. Now, if you know Garba in Shule, you remember it. <laughs> That's the kind of person he's having to deal with. These are rural ty- tyrants. They're in the rural areas. They lord it over everybody else around. They are basically criminals. Now, because they were taking advantage of the poor, he came from the city to help the poor. So he was not in their good books. So they decided to attack him. And one day they attacked, he was not home. But his father was home. And they were going to pluck his father's eyes out. The only reason they did not was because his father promised them that if they leave his eyes alone, Next day, he will go to the bank and withdraw all his life savings and give to them. Father was also a Christian. So the guy said, okay, that's the deal. They left him. And he said, true to his father's word, next day he went to the bank, withdrew the money, brought it back to the village, and they had an arrangement. He dropped it off from them somewhere. So because of the crisis, everybody said, you have to move. And he said, no. That God sent me here to come and help people. This Criminals will not drive me away. In fact, he did one funny thing. A few days later, he went to the house of Garba. Yeah, you get my point. This is a real life story, not a movie. He went to the guy's house. Everybody was surprised to see him. He went in there and said, I hear you are looking for me. That was it. Who told you that? He said, I hear you are looking for me. So here I am. He didn't have a gun, didn't have anything. The man had, you know, security men, all of that, his fellow goons and all of that. He said, I heard you are looking for me. So why are you running up and down? I have come now. Let's settle whatever be the problem. Then we'll say, no, 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 no. How can I be looking for you? No, no, no. There's peace everywhere, you know. Talk nicely. So you're not looking for me? The guy said, no, I'm not looking for you. So he left. But they advised him and said, well, since you are so stubborn, I'm talking about Christianity. Why don't you just give us... Okay, his wife was with him. Why don't you just allow your wife to go away? That way, this your stubborn head... You can suffer with Garba there all by yourself. Now that touched him, so he went to his wife and said, listen, I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I want you to pray about it, and I want you to make the decision. He didn't want to force his wife to stay, and in his heart, he did not want her to go. So the wife said, okay, give me a few days. So she prayed, then finally she came to him and said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, (laughs) in sickness and in health. Till death does us part. So the man said, fine. So he told all his friends that were concerned about him that my wife is not leaving. She's staying here with me. Now, that's Christianity. So the wife stayed with trouble all around. Of course, they kept on praying. They were good Christians. He's the one that wrote the book. They kept on praying. Now, what they did not know was that people had heard of the good works he was doing. As an, an American missions agency, they wanted to send people over there. But the people that wanted to come were women. So they said, it's a dangerous area. Are you guys willing to go? They said, okay, we are going to give the will of God a test. You know the, the test? If his wife stays with him, we will go. If his wife leaves, they will not go. They observed and realized that his wife stayed. So 
the, the, about three women said, all right, we are going. So they went and joined him. So they joined the man and his wife, and they were doing the mission work together. You know how God works? <laughs> when the criminals saw the Americans, they said there's trouble. They said, these Americans are wicked people. They are looking for excuse to invade. <laughs> so they made the man their friend and protected them. Because they didn't want trouble. Now, now these three American women are here with us. There must be American ninjas hiding somewhere. <laughs> They're looking for excuse to use a, a drone to bomb somebody's house. I don't want trouble. Though. So Garba, you know our Garba. Can you remember Garba? Garba told his boys, I don't want to see any trouble near that missionary. <laughs> because I don't want... It's not a modern uh, story. So let me, I just want to put these words in just to make it funny. Because I don't want Donald Trump's problems. That was how God solved his problem. Listen, the decision he made, that that his wife made, did not make natural sense. There had to be a spirit in you to make that kind of decision. You know one reason why God cannot use many of us? We want him to guarantee safety first before we obey him. We want him to guarantee prosperity first before we obey him. We want our lives, what we are doing, I said it last time, which is so unfortunate, is that we are holding the world with one hand and trying to hold Jesus with the other one. And what he said is that, let's go of the world, hold me with both hands. You will not be useful to me until I see that you are grabbing onto me with both hands. These people said, let us first go and say to our people, let me first go and take care of my father. And Jesus said, if that's the way you are looking at it, then you are not worthy of the kingdom. I'm sorry to say it like this, but it's the way it is. These days, most Christians are not worthy of the kingdom. Let me say something about Sodom and Gomorrah. I just feel like it's a good way to bring this whole series to a close. You know, like they say, there's an elephant in the room. Have you heard the story of elephant in the room? Something all of us can see, but we don't want to talk about it's obvious. But I'm just going to handle it from a particular angle. I want to talk about the principle of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and our faith. Let me start again. Prosperity doctrine is good. Somebody say amen. amen. If you believe in it with all your heart, say amen. amen. Although you have to know what I mean by believe. If you believe that, okay, what I mean, what you believe, what I'm referring to. If you believe that God wants you to prosper, say amen. If you believe that God wants to financially prosper his people, give me an amen. amen. If you believe that God will give you enough, give me amen. amen. If you believe he will give you more than enough, give me amen too. Amen. More than enough is the will of God. Because if it's not more than enough, the sharing may be hard. God says you should super abound unto good works. What is the purpose of prosperity? To do the will of God. And to do it properly. And to do it abundantly. And to help other people do it. That is the purpose of prosperity. However, material prosperity has its dangers. You know, I've been saying that. Then. It's, ve- it's one place where we can easily slip into worldliness. How many times we slip into worldliness? As much as prosperity materially is good, people of God, listen to this, it is not the most important thing happening. Of all men born of women, none was as great as John. Solomon was one of those men born of women, true of us. With all the wealth he had, 
Jesus says Solomon in all his glory, that is what is fully, you know, decked, was not as beautiful or as expensive as a flower of the field. David was a man after God's heart. He had plenty of abundance. He gave enough money, personally, to finance more than half of the temple. Everybody else gave was not as much as David gave. He had plenty. But he was not as great as John. Abraham, great man. He was born of a woman too. So Jesus said, John beats you, sir. Jabez, who God enlarged his coast and made him prosper abundantly. Job, who God was the greatest of the men in the east, suffered for just about a year. Then God doubled his greatness. Was not as great as John. Yet, John died at the age of 30, thereabout. John was eating locust and wild honey. John was not properly dressed. He didn't have expensive clothes. So much that Jesus said, what were you looking for? If you are looking for people who are well-dressed, you go to king's palaces. What am I going to explain? So prosperity was, is not the greatest thing that God is doing on the earth. There are things that are much more important. I established earlier, materially speaking, Abraham left a comfortable area and went into a place that he lived in tents the rest of his life. Let's bear in mind. Why am I saying this? When you are making decisions in life, comfort must never be primary. One of the things I, 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 I see in believers that amaze me, see, like I say all the time, I was not born in Enugu. I hope you understand that. In, in case you want to know, I was born in Owa, in Ondo State. I believe that's where my father and my mother were born to. It was school that took me out of that environment. Of course, we traveled around a bit, you know, grew up in another town, then went to school. University took me to Benin. NYC took me to uh, Taraba State. Then something took me to Lagos. I stayed in Lagos for a while. And then finally, I was catapulted by the Lord, I believe, very strongly, I believe that, to Enugu, where I have been for the, almost 20 years now. So you see, moving is not a problem. So people are supposed to move. By Elton, we talk about him all the time. He was born in England or somewhere, Scotland, thereabout. And he moved to Nigeria and died in Nigeria. So people move. Why is the question? Why is the question? What amazes me is that people want to make decisions. They will open their eyes. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, what is Sodom? Pastor Bank, what are you talking about? When you want to make a decision, look at the spiritual climate in the place. If the spiritual climate is bad, except you have a spiritual reason, don't go there. You know, the other day I was chatting with my classmates, we were talking. And, of course, you know the way people do all the time? Sena climbs, you know, what's wrong with this, your Nigeria self? Sena climbs. One day I, I said, listen, guys, let's stop deceiving ourselves. Because in my chat group, there are people who live abroad, Different countries, people in South Africa, of course, UK, US, and of course, majority in Nigeria and different parts of Nigeria. So I told the people, I said, listen, you tell me that this is wrong in Nigeria. We don't have constant power. In fact, one guy will make a joke that he says, this person, we have not heard from him for a few days. Are you sure you could charge his phone? Of course, he's joking because he knows that, of course, if you don't have public power, the people there, they are big enough to have private power 24 hours. 
You know, so, but it's a joke about it. We make a lot of jokes about stuff like that. And I said to them one day, something, it came to a head. I said, let's get something straight, all of us. There's nowhere we are living that's perfect. I said, just that each one of us chose the kind of imperfection he wants to live, live with. I said, you can insult this country all you want. I would rather live here than some of the places the rest of you are living in. Because what bothers you doesn't bother me. And some things that bother me, they don't bother you. So you are comfortable where you are, and I'm not complaining. What do you, why are you drinking analgesic for my own headache? You tell me I don't have constant power. I say, but at least I can have Bible study in school. I can stand in class and say, there is God. I teach students. I can say to them that, oh, science says this, but they don't have any sense. I can say it in class, and no dean of any faculty, who does, even if it's an adulterer, he fears God. <laughs> Nobody's coming to harass me to say, why did you say what you said? I can say in class, the soul that sins, it shall die. I can say, it's just God that is keeping us. And no student will come and write and say that I'm indoctrinating him. I say, listen, I have freedom. My students have come to me for an offer to pray for them. And there's no risk. Yes, we'll bow our heads there and we'll pray. I have taught scriptures while teaching. That is, I'm teaching on something, something goes to it. I say, no, this is the Bible now. I use the Bible to prove a medical point. I would rather do that than have constant power. Yeah, the same person telling me I'm living in a place, he's telling me things like, uh, you know where we are, you can't do such things. I said, so, one of my friends said that, that of course, you can't tell anybody that there's, some, that there's something wrong with a man, with a young boy having his father as a man and his mother as a man. In my own, here, if I see that, I'll call, what do you know of these people that said to family quarrel? For you people to come, in fact, your mother is going to jail. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a mother. If it's a man in this country, it's against our law. Now, let's forget what I feel like, what I don't feel like. I want to bring out a particular point. What did the Bible say to us? If we are believers, why will Christians tell me that breakthrough, I am going to Sodom? Why? Because I can earn ten times what I'm earning here. So I carry my wife, carry my children, and disappear to Sodom. Let me say something to you about Americans. The first set of Christians that went to America, they went so they could worship. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It was freedom of worship they went to look for. Because when they were coming from England, in England... If the queen or the king is a Catholic, you are a Catholic. If the queen or the king is a Protestant, all of you are Protestants. The king literally told everybody how to worship. So when they found the opportunity to worship with no king, that was why when they got there, they, now it has been misapplied, misinterpreted, and used to persecute Christians. When they said separation of church and state, what they meant... Please bear it in mind. What they meant as separation of church and state is that the state cannot tell us which church to go to. 
that the state cannot, they were not trying to separate the church from influencing the state. They were trying to separate the state from determining the mode of worship. So they say the king, the president cannot tell me which day to worship, how to worship. That was why they put it in their laws. It was because of what they experienced from where they were coming from, mostly from UK and other parts of Europe, where, where religion was part of the state. So if a Martin Luther rises up to challenge the tenets of the Catholic Church as an example, he has problems going to any country around. The kings will feel they owe the Pope a duty to arrest him. So they felt that, no, this is not right. So they put in their laws. Separation of what? Church and state. What am I trying to explain? They went there to look for freedom to worship. What I can't understand, because what I'm trying to talk about is ability to take hardship, is when people will deliberately sell the freedom to worship for money. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You sell the freedom to worship. I'm not talking about for two days or three days. I'm talking about my new life is that there will be no freedom to worship. I said something at the beginning so that you don't, nobody gets me wrong. Anybody can go anywhere, but never forget, you must ask yourself what? Why? Why? So when you are making your decisions, I'm talking, no, I'm talking about this, those who serve God. Those that God can use. You must demonstrate to him that the faith of God is more important to you than any other thing when you are making decisions. You must. Because oftentimes Christians don't bother. They don't bother. And we celebrate. Hey, this man has gotten a visa. This man has gotten a new job. And then we are celebrating. And you ask him, okay, how is this going to further your faith? Nothing. How are you going to train your children in righteousness with this kind of influence? Wouldn't you rather pay to have a better influence governing your, society, your, your family than you deliberately giving up the one that God has given you because of what? A muscle of meat? Please, I'm teaching on what it means to be used by God. I said it involves sacrifices. Sometimes you will take harassment. You will endure poverty. That's what I'm going to explain. You will endure poverty. You will say to the Lord, literally, this world is not my home. Listen, you know the truth? It's in the Bible like that. Naked we came into this world. You know how we're going to go? Naked. There is nothing we will take, materially speaking, with us. What we are going to take, if we may use the word take, is the faithfulness that we demonstrated concerning the things that God put in our hands to do. That is the thing that we are going to take. God is going to say, I get, and listen to this. Solomon said something. He said, this is also I discovered, that God made men upright, but he sought out many devices. What am I going to say? The reason why people don't do the will of God for their lives is not just that they get up and say, I won't do it. They never do that. Oh, don't let me say they never do something. There are crazy people all around, so okay, but. <laughs> the Lord is good. But they rarely, they rarely, people hardly get up and say, I know this is what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to do it. It's rare. What normally prevents us from doing what God wants us to do in life are those excuses which have to do with the things we're talking about. Let me give an example now. For example, what one of the major reasons we don't do the will of God is that we put it in last. It's one major reason. 
For example, this man said, okay, come, let me first go and bury my father. And what Jesus is saying is that if you successfully do that, you have become useless to me. Not because you are not, you don't have the ability left in you, but you did not give me the right position or priority in your life. I I don't know where I get my point. The reason why we don't do the will of God is what I'm going to explain. And that was why Jesus spoke to those people like that. He said, listen, if you don't make it the first and paramount thing in your life, you will end up not doing it. Please try and listen to this um, series, uh, one message I preached some years ago, which I titled um, Quench Not the Spirit. It's on our website. If you just go there, Quench Not the Spirit, you'll find it. I explained it. There are many people are living the reason why God gave them life until things are convenient. That if you do that, you are not planning for a long life. One major reason why we don't do the will of God for our lives, why we can't fulfill the reason why God gave us life is simple. We want to do it only when it is convenient. We don't make it a matter of priority. We make it a secondary matter. And listen to this. Jesus has to be first. Otherwise, he does not accept any other position in your life. If you want to make any decision, the pleasure of the Lord must be first in that decision. That's why, let's go back there. I want us to read it again. That book of Luke chapter 9. The man said to him, um, where am I now? Verse um, 59. We've talked about the man in the foxes. That's what we talked about last time. Here he says, in verse 59, the Lord said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, permit me first. Permit me what? First. To go and bury my father. The, the, the key word there is what? First. Go down to verse um, 61. And I also said, I will follow you. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. What was the issue? What's the key word? What's the key word? First. Because he said, permit me to first. First. It is what you want to do first that prevents you from doing the will of God. It is what you want to do first. There's something you notice. Let, I think, let's read this particular story. It will also help us highlight it. The story of the call of Elisha. That's in 1 Kings um, chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. When I finish explaining this, I'll just try my best to review the things that we have said. I will bring this series to a close. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you read from verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king of Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint a prophet to replace you. In verse 17, And it shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death, and all of that. Let me jump down to verse 19 now. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelve, that is the other people walking with him. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. That mantle was the call of God. That mantle was a sign that God has spoken to you. God has called you into ministry. He passed, he threw it on him. He left the oxen, that is, now, notice this. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah, that is, Elisha ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. 
Now, please, I want you to follow this. It's the same thing that Jesus was talking about earlier. Let me go back first. Let me kiss my mother and my father, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah, Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and bought their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave to the people and the ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. You see what is going on here? The call of God had come upon Elisha. Elijah said to him, follow me. Then the man wanted to draw back and go back home and settle family matters. I assume he wanted to go back and say, how do we take care of this farm? What will happen after I will have left? What we must bear in mind is this. When Elijah told him that, basically what Elijah was saying is that, go back, you will no longer be useful. So the man said, all right, I will not go back home. He just returned to that farm and killed the animals with which he was plowing. I don't know whether you're getting my point. The thing that he had as pride, he killed it. The sign of his wealth, he killed those things. They ate the thing there, and then he followed Elijah. What am I going to say here? This was why he was worthy of taking the mantle over when Elijah left. Listen, I want us to understand it. Many times we are not willing to take any suffering for the Lord. We want everything to be well arranged. Let me say this. That is why God calls some people to ministry. They are looking for which church they will join so that they can give them a branch, then they can do their ministry. One day a friend of mine asked me that, listen, he's supposed to go and take, you know, pastor a church and all of that. He said, what do I say? I said, they just want counsel I have for you. Will you have gone if a senior pastor did not send you? If the answer is no, don't go. If the answer is yes, yes, maybe this is just the opportunity that God has given. And there's no problem with that. There's no problem with that. But if it is that somebody is trying to give you an institution so that you feel you are hiding, you are safe, when at the same time, do you get my point? You are, you, you now want to use that as an, to prove to yourself that you are doing the will of God. Meanwhile, why you are there is because of security. Then you have missed the will of God. Then you will have missed the will of God. Please, I hope you are getting the point I'm making here. Listen, I think it was Charles Finney that his father had told, I've forgotten one of these ministers. If you want to preach, we're not saying don't preach. Please go to mission school, join an Anglican church, then they will give, then you will be preaching. Well, I, I'm not sure it's Charles Finney, but there's one, one well-known minister. I've forgotten his name now. All right, I will have told us. But you know, in his own situation, he told his father, I'm going to ministry. The father said, there's no problem. If you must go into ministry, join a church. What his father was concerned about was security for himself. That is for his son. He wanted his son to be secure. So, okay, if it is ministry you want to join, please join the established church. They, at least you have a pension. It's a pity I forgot which one of these men, because for me to be talking about him, God must have used him mightily. But, but he refused. He didn't follow his father's pathway. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. What am I saying to the people of God? Let me summarize it. Working with God is costly. Jesus said, you have to do what? Be ready to consider that cost. Realize that if you give your life to Christ, he may take from you everything that you hold dear. Your influence, your ambition in life, he might remove it. There are people he has told, yes, yeah, so the church you are in is a big church, it's a good one. I want you to resign and start an itinerant ministry. Can I say something once, which is very interesting. He was a pastor for like 12 years. He said one day the Lord said to him that when you left your last church, you entered into the first phase of the ministry that I had for you. 
And that was when he left the last church that he was pastoring. What happened at that time? The Lord has spoken to him that I did not call you to be a pastor to start with. I called you to be what? Oh, he didn't tell him that just I didn't call you to be a pastor. So he now went out and started going from one place to the other. Now, when he left his church, he left a church which he said was the best church he had ever pastored. The biggest. They were giving him the most money that he had ever had in his life. Interesting story. Then he began to go around from one place to the other. Let's make a long story short. Over decades, he became a man that we are talking about today, even though he died some 10 years ago. This is an interesting part of the story. One day while he was going up and down, his wife said, me too, I need security. I need to be established in a particular place. I want a base from which, do you get my point? She harassed his, uh, her husband so much, the man finally agreed to settle down. He too was tired of moving up and down. So he finally accepted, and then the day he came, now listen to this, he came to come and do what they call try for the church, so that the people will hear him preach, and then they will elect him as their pastor. Now before that time, let me quickly say this to us. He said, his, his wife said she will be walking, and then she will hear a voice. Somebody said like, I could take him away from you, and you never see him again. So she will look, who is there? Nobody. The day he came to take that position, you know what happened? He collapsed, and his heart stopped. And it was as if he was dead. And they began to revive him. Then somebody sent for his wife, for his wife to come. And his wife came. I hope you're getting my point. And as soon as she got there, she said to them, everybody move back. I know what happened. Just like Zipporah. She knelt down and began to tell the Lord that she's sorry. She told the Lord, I'm sorry. You can take him for as long as you want. He can be gone for as long as you want him to be gone. Because her complaint before was that the man traveled a lot because he was an itinerant preacher, going from one place to the other. The Lord said, to, and that's what she was complaining to the Lord about, that why, why am I the one that the husband is hardly around, going from one place to the other preaching? Why can't we settle down in the church? Are they preaching or preaching? You preach every Sunday, it is preaching. But <laughs> the Lord said to him, ha, listen, let me put my own words now. You think he's your husband? No, he's not your husband, he's my servant. You are my servantess. Can I use that expression? <laughs> Two of you are serving me. And if this is the way I want people to serve. And if you don't like it, then you guys are useless to me. She didn't get the point until it collapsed. Go and read the story of Zipporah and uh, Moses in chapter 4 of Exodus. That's exactly what happened. She knelt down and began to pray. And told the Lord she's sorry. You can take him for as long as you want. I will never complain. You can take him for as long as you want. I won't talk again. Let him be gone. And then she prayed and prayed. And the man revived. And he lived to be 88. He was 30-something that time. Hmm. I hope you're getting my point here. Listen, serving God is not a matter of comfort. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, you must do what? Endure hardship as a true soldier of Christ. Let me say this. We're not talking to, about preachers alone. Because when we talk about this thing, we think it only applies to preachers. But it's not preachers alone. There are times God will say, listen, go and work in that primary school. Work for the government in their secondary school. Work in that university. Yes, look, you, know, you know this man said something once. What is his name? Um, this American neurosurgeon. Ben Carson. Ben Carson, of course, we are here in Nigeria talking about him. He's a retired neurosurgeon. He's an American uh, minister for housing, using a Nigerian uh, terminology. Okay? Because secretary for uh, uh, housing secretary. Okay? Now, he's a well-known man. 
If you ask anybody who is a neurosurgeon, he will tell you Ben Carson. Ben Carson is the number one neurosurgeon when it comes to fame in the non-medical circles in the world. Everybody seems to know Ben Carson. But this point I want to make. When he first finished residency, and they, I employed him in Johns Hopkins, where he, he worked till he retired. One day, some people came to him and showed him how much he was earning in Johns Hopkins. And showed him how much he could earn in a private practice they set up. His salary was going to go up threefold. He considered it and considered it. So you know what he did? He resigned. When the head of his department saw the resignation, he called him that, what is the problem? The man looked and said, sir, I'll be honest with you, it's money. What you are paying me in this big hospital is small money. My guys have opened a practice somewhere. They want me to come on board as a neurosurgeon, and this is what I'm going to be earning. The senior looked at him and said, to, to, he said things to him to this point, that, listen, it's not all about money. That we'll see what we can do to improve your pay, but we like you as a surgeon. Stay here. They improved this pay, but you cannot be sure of one thing. It did not come up to half of what the other guys were offering. No, he didn't come up to that. His pay improved, but he looked at it, told the other people, I'm really sorry. So he apologized and he stayed. He stayed in Johns Hopkins. What am I telling the story? That was where God brought fame out of his life. That was where he began to do things that were difficult to do. That was where he became who he became. When he separated the Binders twins, you understand, there's this particular uh, Siamese twins that he separated, you understand? He became famous because the hospital said, since he led the, uh, the surgical team, he should be the one to address the press. So the whole world, next thing they knew, was one young black doctor, a surgeon, 30-something years of age, is in uh, Johns Hopkins. Then from there, book started, gifted hands, uh, um, uh, take that risk. Little books are the big picture. He became an author. If he had moved to the other place, let's forget money, please, for a moment. I'm talking about influence, blessing people. If he had moved to that place, who would remember him? I doubt anybody will have remembered him. He will have become another successful American neurosurgeon. And that's all. He would not have been a special influence in his environment. Why am I saying this? So let's realize it's not only preachers we are talking about. Like I was saying earlier, God could say to somebody, join Nigeria police. Yeah, I know you are a lawyer. I know you are brilliant. Your dream was to become what? A senior advocate of Nigeria. Collecting 10 million naira for one brief. That was your dream. That's what you've been thinking about. But I wanted to become a state prosecutor. I wanted to join the Nigerian police. Not even as a DPP now. Join Nigeria police. Collect rank. Do you follow, do you follow my point? Because I know the... Listen to me. God is saying, I know the kind of restructuring I want to do. You are needed there. I won't pay you extra because I brought you from being an advocate to becoming a... Give me a rank of police. A superintendent of police or assistant commissioner, I will not pay you extra. You will learn to manage your life the way every civil servant manages his life. You will do that for 20 years before what I want to do with you will fully manifest. Listen, your friends will come and call you and say, oh boy, if you leave this place, you can make more money. What am I saying to the people of God today? It is not about money. That is what I'm preaching the whole of this series. It is not about money. God says, listen, there's something the Bible says. He said, let, quickly open your Bible. I need to read this, then I begin to close. The book of Luke chapter 10, quickly. I want to read something here. Luke chapter 10. 
in verse 1, it said, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two or in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. Please, I want you to notice that. When the Lord, some people think that Jesus didn't have plans. He did. He said, I'm about to go into this particular village. So Andrew, Philip, go. I will go to this other village next. Joseph and, um, let's give me a name, Joshua, go. He, of the 70, he sent them two by two into every place that he was planning to come to. Then he began to lament to them. Now, using my own words, in verse 2. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What was he saying? Listen. I'm going to stop reading there. What was he saying? I have 70 people. I have maybe 200 towns and villages to go to. They go in pairs. So I have how many teams? 35. Now, they are going to go into each village. Then he will come there. Then they will leave and go to another village. So basically what he was saying is this. I have only 35 teams. I have 200 places to go. So we can only take it 35 at a time. And that was why he lamented that I really wish I had 200. So they would have been going, I would have had how many teams? A hundred teams. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. Because this is the way God works. Anywhere Jesus will want to go, come to, he will first send his disciples ahead. He will send two of them. What am I going to say? Education in Nigeria is bad. I don't know what they are doing there. These children are not learning anything. Or oh, they are just Facebook children. And everybody is abusing them. Say, so what do we need? We need the Lord to come there. So you know what the Lord says? I need how many? Two. Now, you get what I'm going to say here. That is now, I don't mean only two will change the whole of educational sector in Nigeria. It can be two go to that major secondary school in this place. Two, go to this particular area. They said, this illegal detention is wrong. This and this and this. Say, two, go to Nigeria police. Two, go to direct, the, the, the directorate for public prosecutions. Two, go to prisons. Two, go to politics. Two, go to local government um, headquarters. Two, go to this house of assembly. Two, go to APC. Two, go, do you follow my point here? That what does he do? Everywhere he wants to go, he must have the two that will go ahead. And you know what he lamented? That the harvest is plentiful. But what happens? The laborers are few. Now, this is my own lamentation. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. The few laborers are departing from the harvest field. That's the lamentation I'm adding to it. Because there are so many demases who will say, because this is not lucrative, they will pack and go to Sodom. They will say, because this is not lucrative, they will pack and go to Sodom, uh, to, to Gomorrah. Then they will sit down there and look back and say, that place is not good. Jesus said, what do you want me to do? You were the ones I appointed to go there so I could come there and make it good. But do you know what I have experienced? You have left there. And for that reason, I will not go. And in the day of judgment, I will hold you responsible for the fact that that place was not redeemed. I hope you are getting my point. Listen, you want God to use you. Don't look for where you can make money. Look for where you can make influence. I hope you are getting my point here. 
where you can be the one that God will use to change something. That is what you should look for. Every day, ask yourself that what am I going to be doing so that I can inject Jesus? That's what it's about. What am I going to be doing in life through which I will inject Jesus? That is the assignment that every Christian has. I'm ending this series today. I'm going to review everything. Okay? For us to understand that Jesus cannot come into a place until he finds the proper people. The people must prepare themselves to be the kind of persons that he can use. And when they have been prepared, they should make sure that no matter where he locates them, they don't run away because it's not comfortable. Please, I hope you are getting the principle here. Never run away because it is not comfortable. Don't say, let me go and make myself comfortable. You know what I think Demas may have told Paul? Paul said, Demas has departed from me. Why? He fell in love with this present age and he moved over to Thessalonica. You know the kind of thing I want to assume? Just an assumption. He probably told Paul, Brother Paul, if I go to Thessalonica, I will start a business. I will be sending you offerings. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Does that sound like a good thing? Yes, it is a good thing. But Paul said to him, Demas, your call, your anointing is not to be sending offerings. Your anointing is to join me in preaching the gospel. The man said, when we have made enough money, we will now come and preach the gospel. I said to you, one major reason people don't do the will of God for their lives is that they make it second. They don't make it first. And listen to this. All of us will be held responsible. Let me end it with this. Where am I supposed to be? It's a good question everybody should ask. Once, I went to my mechanic. This was many years ago. My car had been with him for some days, and they had been working on it, and they were about to do the finishing touches. I was supposed to pick it that day. So he was supposed to tune the engine. That's the one I remember. This was many years ago. Since then, of course, this job in Nigeria has improved a lot. People now have diagnostics, plug this, plug that, and all of that. But those days, their, their machine was their ears. <laughs> the eyes, ears, and hand was what they used to do everything. Time to tune the engine. I remember he would take one pin, get there, he would twist something, tell somebody to go into the car, and you no, know, fire the engine. And he would listen. And now, that's not the gist. The gist was that it was a big mechanic shop. Other boys were working in different places. So you know what happened? Everybody dropped what they were doing and came to watch him. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody dropped what they were doing. And they all gathered around and they stood. And they watched the master doing his thing. They would do something, tell the guy to stop. You go somewhere else, open something, fix something, turn something again. And I noticed that everybody gathered to watch. And you know me, that's the way I behave. I looked to my left and looked to my right. I wasn't looking at the car again. I was looking at the spirit. <laughs> and I told myself, I said, God, this is fantastic. I said, what is it on this earth that I will do? And people will leave what they are doing to come and gather and pay attention to be blessed. They were not being entertained. They were learning. I said, no, no. I said, God, I need to locate that and put my energy into it. My issue that it was, it was not, is this man making money or is he not making money from this business? Is that how can a man be this skilled? That everybody is around. They were, I'm serious. They dropped what they were doing. They all gathered around the car to watch how he was doing it. That day on that spot, I made up my mind. I said, God, whatever you are placing in my hand, I will put my energy into it so that when I come to tune my spiritual engine, 
The people of God will gather and say, bless us with the knowledge, bless us with the understanding that God has given you. I remember the story of the man Bezalel in the Bible, that God said, I have given him the spirit of a craftsman. Not only will he make artistic designs, he will teach other people also. No matter how much you wanted to pay Bezalel elsewhere, he was not allowed to go. God had given him the assignment of building the tabernacle with Moses and teaching other people in Israel. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, one day, God is going to ask us what we did. The truth is this. Jesus will not be effective on this earth until he finds people he can use. There will be delay in his agenda. We can complain from now till tomorrow. Until he raises enough people, he will continue to lament. The harvest truly is what? Plentiful. But the laborers are few. What are we going to do therefore? Each one of us will make up our minds that Lord, I will not let anything distract me from being the perfect person that you can use. And number two, I will not let anything distract me from the place where you are going to use me. Those two points, they are important for us to pray about them. Let's bow down here and begin to pray. Let's say to the Lord, thank you. We've been talking about this thing for some time. Thank you for what you have taught me up to this particular point. It's a whole series. I think this should, today should be the, like the tent. Say to the Lord, nothing will take me away from the place you have planted me. There are things I, no, not, let me go and marry first. No, I will not go and marry first. I will do what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm supposed to marry now, I will do that also. Whatever it is, I will not place the agenda of God in my life for now until it is more convenient for me. Let's begin to pray. Let's continue to pray that uh, prayer that will not um, take a place of purpose for comfort. That the purpose of God will be first. Let's pray and say, Lord, it is your grace. We're asking for grace again. That when these temptations come, when this pressure come, that I'll be focused on the purpose of God for my life. I'll be focused on the assignment of God for my life. Let's pray that prayer. That I'll be focused on the assignment of God for my life. That I will not run after comfort at the expense of God's assignment for me. But I will aggressively pursue God's purpose for my life. I will stay in the place of my assignment despite the pressures. I will stay in the place of my assignment despite the temptations.